Hello and welcome back to Tales from the Bay, though not really from the Bay, from a couple of bedrooms split apart in uh, England somewhere. Uh, Will Gavin alongside me, Nicholas McGee, excellent 49ers writer. You, follow, you should follow him on social media if you don't already. Breaks down film, which I don't bother to do because I'm lazy. Uh, and it is right now for us, I'm aware you're not hearing this till Wednesday, but it is still Victory Tuesday. I don't care if it was, was Victory Monday and that's the thing. We are still absolutely reeling from the 35 to 7 battering that we put on the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and Tom Brady. And now it's Seahawks week. It's a short week. We head up to Lumen Field or whatever the nonsense it's called now to see if Brock Purdy with a real test on his hands as a rookie quarterback going to that stadium has got the chutzpah that we think he has based on the first two performances. Nicholas, how are you feeling a couple of days removed from, uh, I mean, I don't remember a lot of 49ers blowouts in recent years, and, and that felt like a good one. I'm doing very well, thank you. Will you do yourself a disservice with the lazy comment hour? Interviewer extraordinaire, as well, I would prefer to call you. And yes, I'm still very much uh, free, sh- free sheets of the wind, to use a particularly uh, English idiom after that performance. Um, I, my wife goes to bed at a very different time to me. As you can imagine she's not big into the NFL, and she, I went up to say goodnight to her as, as we were on the one yard line at seven at seven, nothing. I said, We're about to score again, and then. I texted her, we scored again just before she went to bed, and she said, I, I gathered because I could hear you laughing. And that was that was me in the um, after the first, <laughs> the first touchdown when he ran it in, and the two after that, I was just falling about cackling. I was like, what are we watching here? We're watching the birth of a, the most unlikely superstar I think we've ever seen in a Fortnite uniform. Uh, we'll get to Brock Purdy in a moment. Uh, just to mention the news that's come out today uh, that we started to get an inkling of on Sunday night, Debo Samuel, uh, that injury, which looked quite nasty and did put a bit of a pale on, on what was, you know, a fantastic victory, but gave that second half, you know, when they rested the starters, ran the ball, ran the clock and kind of slowed the game down a little, or sped the game up, I guess, a little bit, but slowed down the scoring. It did have that little bit of a, a shadow cast on the game. What looked like it could have been a really nasty injury, knee, ankle combined. Both are hurt. It's a sprain to both, but they do expect him back in the regular season, which with only four weeks left is about as good a uh, outcome as could happen. And with you know, only needing that one win to win the NFC West at this point, if they do beat Seattle on Thursday, it's as good an outcome as we could have hoped for, Nicholas. Oh, absolutely! At first, it looked absolutely terrible. He could bet he tried to stand up and fell and fell over again, and that's never that's never a good sign. Um, it was clearly quite tearful. So, and then the cart comes out, and you you fear the worst. But we start, start to get an inclination pretty quickly, still during the game, that wasn't as bad as first feared. And now there's talk, I think uh, Jordan Schultz report was saying potentially week 17, which would be a real win. But you hope you don't have to risk him too much, to be honest, because he's so valuable for the playoffs. We saw that last year. How he can put the team on his back, and the whole point of having him and Christian McCaffrey is kind of the the influence they have on defenses. So you need both of them out there in the postseason when it's when it's going to be most important. So it's it's looking extremely likely they're going to get there now, and that's when we'll need him the most. Yeah, if, if they're compete, if they're if they're in the postseason, if they win Thursday, they're in the postseason already. But if yeah, if we get to a point where the likelihood is third seed, maybe second if the Vikings continue to collapse, but the Eagles, you know, the Eagles might not lose another game this season with the way that they're playing right now. They've been absolutely sensational. And Jalen Hurts, I think, might have moved into favourite for the MVP race on on Sunday with that performance and what average of 43, 44 points a game over the last three weeks. I think if they are almost set that they're going to be finishing third or second, I would absolutely continue. Maybe you know, rotate him in for a few snaps, make sure the legs are fresh, make sure he's feeling comfortable on it. But yeah, I, I wouldn't risk him at all. And I'd start looking at, you know, that week 18 game against the Arizona Cardinals. We might end up seeing a lot of 
uh, rotational players in that game. Not that, you know, the 49ers probably one of the deepest squads in the NFL, but yeah, I think a similar kind of lineup to what we saw in the in the fourth quarter of the game this weekend, probably coming week 18, if, if that's what's to happen. Right. Wanted to get that out of the way because I wanted to give us a clear runway to all get aboard the Brocket ship, to get down and purdy and to talk all about the sensational late round pick, the Madden regen of Tom Brady, who came up against a man who was... When Brock Purdy was nine days old, Tom Brady was taking his final snaps in college with Michigan. That is the kind of difference between these two men. And I was astonished at, yet again, all those positive things we said last week, his poise, his maturity, his approach. But Nicholas, what really stood out to me this week was the big playability, the explosive plays that we saw, and just his poise in the pocket, the way he read the pressure coming at him, which again was from every angle. There was blitzing on a ludicrous number of downs again, similar to the Dolphins, and he just took it all on his shoulders and, and made play after play. Yeah, you saw everything you expected from a Todd Bowles defense. He's going to throw everything at you, and he was equal to absolutely everything. There were so many plays particularly in the, in the first half, it obviously kind of slowed down a bit. In the second, once again, got out of hand. But yeah, from the, the, the Duke move, kind of swim move of Joe Trianchenko, who is an extremely athletic defensive defensive end pass rusher, of swatting him aside and finding Debo outside the numbers and then identifying the blitz and hitting that beautiful throw to McCaffrey. And then the the uh, the cherry on top of the icing on top of the cake, the the, the pump fake on the double move to Brandon Ayuk, which was just that, yeah, I was on the, on the floor at that point. That was just <laughs> Absolutely incredible stuff to see. Um, clear, clear strides from, from last week when you could see a little bit time, a few times they ran into the pressure and stuff. Looked so much more at home in the pocket with the week with the week to prepare. And as we learned after fought through a, a, what seems a relatively minor oblique injury as well, fought through that and still looked extremely good doing it. And was supported by an excellent running game as well on top of that. But it's, it's just looking better and better after these first two games. It is a small sample size, but it's a sample size that's becoming a lot more difficult to ignore. Like it's an obvious and maybe slightly easy to boring comparison, but you know he needs to be. We people were talking about the Forty ers as a Super Bowl contender with Jimmy Garoppolo, so he needs to play to that level of Jimmy Garoppolo. And right now, he is playing relatively mistake-free football. He did have the one pretty bad interception, which was called back for what was a relatively phantom holding call. And actually, I mean, you wanted him to play like Jimmy Garoppolo. He didn't see a man coming in from underneath. That's very Jimmy Garoppolo. Like, didn't see that extra guy who who disguised that coverage. But the fact that he followed that play afterwards with the deep shot to McCaffrey, when actually they had options available open and he decided to take that deep shot, he went, that's the play I'm going to go for. He had two touchdowns of 20 plus air yards, which as we already uh, know from this year, and they flashed up on the screen about four times, Jimmy Garoppolo only had one of those all year. And actually Christian McCaffrey's had as many as that this year in a 49ers uniform. Was that for you uh, just the way that the game presented itself, the way that the plays opened up to him? Or do you think that actually we will see more deep strike with Purdy based on what we've seen so far? I probably lean towards the latter. I think the, the McCaffrey one in particular is just a sign of how much more comfortable he's getting. I mean, there's a bit of pressure in his face, but he had a similar opportunity last week against the Dolphins. We had McCaffrey one-on-one on the outside against a linebacker and didn't take it. He read the play out and found Diva Debo Ayuko over the middle. Um, and that just showed progression from that last week that he, he ID'd the blitz and he, he found his one-on-one immediately and produced a pretty accurate throw. It was a good adjustment by McCaffrey in the little bobble that caused a bit of doubt on the uh, on the review. But it was that showed clear signs of progress. And I think he doesn't have the 
people are going to label his point. He doesn't have the strongest arm, but he seems very similar in, a, in that kind of way to kind of almost two a tongue of the Dolphins. He didn't have the strongest arm, but he was getting the ball out quickly under pressure, and it was maybe a little bit underthrown, but it was relatively accurate, and that's what you need to be if you're going to connect on deep balls in this league. Did you read the um, the Sports Illustrated Connor Orr's excellent article on, on Brock Purdy last week? I haven't got to that yet. I'm a, a big fan of uh, Connor Orr from his around the NFL days and his various gripes he used to express in that podcast. So I've been lucky to meet Connor a couple of times. He is, he's very British in his sensibilities, <laughs> in his humour. Huge, huge fan of his as well. But it, it's a really fascinating read, even if you're not a 49ers fan, into what you can and can't do in the development of a quarterback. Because, you know, there's always that talk about accuracy is the hardest thing to improve at the next level. It's all about improving those stuff that we've talked about, the pocket presence, the sense of the game, the reading of the game. Like Those are the things you can improve. But part of the reason that Brock Purdy was seen as, as somebody who wasn't necessarily draftable, ends up going right at the end of the draft, is that Whilst he was able to get a reasonable amount of power on his balls, the, the where the power was coming from, he had these incredibly powerful quad muscles and he was almost playing on his toes rather than on the, the heels of his feet, which is where you should be playing to get power from your hips. And, you know, instead you're having to overextend your shoulder, you're having to play on the toes, you're having to... And, and none of that is necessarily sustainable at the NFL level. And from going into the draft and the process he went through. And then when he got to the 49ers as well, they used these 3d motion cameras. They figured out how to get his fastball improved. They, they reduced that elbow extension, brought his arm up higher in the thing. They brought down the weight on his lower legs and worked on his lower legs to make them more athletic. And I think if you watch the college plays versus like his motion has changed in all the right ways and when you talked about that improvement from you know game one in theory when he was coming in as a replacement to game two, like I just the guy just learns and changes and adapts so much quicker. And you know we are getting overexcited. It's two games. It's not even two full games yet. And we often see with rookie quarterbacks, particularly with such a tough trip coming on Thursday, which we'll get to that you know big moments can get to them. Maybe he's not quite at, at that level yet, but. I, I don't know. I, hearing and seeing everything that he's gone through in his development in the last six to nine months, mm-hmm. I, I get very, very excited about it and probably more excited than I should be. I think you, you're all well within your rights to get to get very, very excited. I mean, you... you... <laughs> oh, I'll get excited then, Nicholas. <laughs> he's, the point is he's, he's doing things that rookies don't do. He's showing that kind of that understanding of the game that isn't there for a lot of rookies. This is, this is kind of stuff that's kind of He'd expect to see a couple of years in his development. And it's clear he's done a lot of work with the throwing motion. I think there's a few pieces coming out this week. I think Sage Rosenfeld is interviewing the guy who's worked on his throwing motion after he got drafted and stuff when he wasn't with the Niners. I think that's, that's coming up this week. I saw that on his Twitter feed. He's, done, he's clearly put the work in and he's clearly, he clearly has a very good understanding of the game and how to pick up the, the Shanahan scheme and everything. He clearly puts a lot of work in. You saw it right after the game. He wasn't really focused in the hoopla of everything. He was very much back down to business and seemed to be ready to get ready to roll for Seattle, as he said at the, at the at the press conference. He's got that he's a very willing learner. He clearly wants to learn and get better all the time, which is obviously what I need to do in the NFL. And he's in the perfect place to do that. And he's doing things that a lot of rookies don't do already. It's all very promising, I think. 
there were the two plays I just wanted to mention. And it's one is going back to having read the article and going back to a play we talked about last week, which was the third and 10 to George Kittle when he had the pressure in his face and he whipped his arm round and made that throw. Like that's a throw he never would have made in college without the improvements he went through. And similarly, what the play you talked about to Debo on the right sideline where he saw the pressure coming. Uh, it was number nine. His name has completely escaped me. He's got the long yeah, double-barreled name. The try on Cheyenne, so it's a mouthful. There we go. He, I mean, you've got it, though. That's the main thing. Um, <laughs> kind of brought the ball back over his head, escaped that, and then threw what was off-platform into a tight window. And yeah, somebody made the point, oh yeah, but you know, you know, seven times out of ten, eight times out of ten, that ball gets intercepted. And I thought to myself, but it didn't because he, <laughs> because he got the whip on it but without having his feet set because he had the arm strength. And I just thought, you know, those things that were rightly a knock against him in college, he's really worked on. And so I'm, uh, you know, kid about it, but I am all aboard the Purdy train right now. Uh, the bro- what's I call it? The, the Brocket ship, as I've seen it called in various places on social media. Yeah, I am. I am here for it. I'm not going to lie. Uh what we'll do now, we're going to look forward to Thursday Night Football. Huge game coming up against the Seattle Seahawks. Um, and we will give our thoughts on, as we have other weeks, the rest of the NFC. We mentioned the Eagles very briefly. Uh, but first, stick around. We're looking ahead to that crucial game. Let's hear from, on Sunday night after the game, uh, Larry Kruger, our man in the Bay, came and joined me on the radio. And we caught up with uh, rookie pass rusher Jake Jackson, Drake Jackson, who, I don't know about you, Nicholas, very impressed with him so far this year. Oh, continues to get better every single week, and is the uh, the defensive line's volleyball player at the level of his uh, batting passes that he puts on every week. We ask him about exactly that. We ask him about Purdy and much more as well. So here's our chat with Drake Jackson. Drake, you sound like you're uh, you're feeling pretty pumped about the victory. Oh yeah, man. Whenever we get a victory, man, you always got to be pumped up, and uh, just to win in that type of fashion against one of the greatest of all time. Yeah, man, you just don't really do that. So you know, yeah, we're feeling we're feeling good right now. Well, Drake, you you uh, you guys lost a couple guys up front. Kerry Hyder and Givens went down. Uh, did you guys go more to uh, the four D end alignment after you lost a couple of the big boys inside? Uh, well, us D linemen, we roll deep, you know. So when we have people go down, we have some people to fill in. Um, pretty much everybody in our room can play all four positions on the D-line. So when people go down and things of that sort, we have people in order, you know, to go again when they're down. Uh, Drake, I love you when you're getting uh, to the line, getting those big hands up in the air, getting up and breaking up those passes, getting the defences in as well, you know. Came into the league, a lot of people talked about you as a pure edge rusher, but uh, Mm. what are you seeing in Tom Brady's eyes? What are you seeing those opportunities? Because you seem to be claiming them at every possible chance. Um, Really, when I get in, you know, I just try to make the most of my opportunities, um, you know, because there's not really any guarantees you know you've seen our guys down so you know when it's our time to play we really just get in and you know really just go you know we don't really have any time to think because you know it's kind of next man up so you know, uh, I always got to keep doing my part and you know make sure I got my D-lines back at those times 
Drake Greenlaw, I mean, all your linebackers are playing incredible, but Greenlaw today, Drake, 15 tackles. He had an interception. He was flying all over the place. He told us this week it would mean a ton to him to get a pick from Brady, and he got one. Talk to us a little bit about Greenlaw. To me, he's been a Pro Bowl caliber player this year. Um, Greenlaw is one of one. I would say all of our linebackers are one of one. Um, you just can't find a guy like that, you know. It's it, it, it's inside of him, you know. You can't teach that things that he has, you know. Um, he has a psycho mindset and wants to kill everybody that's running the ball. And, uh, you know, <laughs> when you're playing with a guy like that, you want to do the same thing because, you know, it, it, it's fun to just go out there and, you know, just play, you know, balls to the wall. So, really, when you have a player like that, especially being that linebacker, you know, um, being a leader, you know, you, Everybody else is, you know, just going to follow. Let me ask you, Drake, about uh, on the other side of the ball. Debo went down with what looked like a, a nasty injury today, but the early reports are that nothing broken, hopefully nothing too serious, should be back this season based on early reports. Mm -hmm. I think we saw the outpouring from the team on the field about just how popular Debo is. So talk to us a bit about the man, but also how important it is that hopefully he'll be back this year. Um, well, as you can see, when he gets the ball in his hands, you know, it, it, it's really up in the air every time you think he's going to score. So, I mean, when you when a player like that goes down, it's just, you know, everyone can feel that because, you know, he's a he's a player on the field and off the field. He has a good personality. So, you know, um, it's real hard when a guy goes down like that when you're kind of, that's one of the guys you look to for plays or you're trying to, you know, you want things to turn around. You look for Debo. It was quite a rookie class that you guys have assembled. Talk to you, talk to us about your fellow rookie, uh, Brock Purdy. Purdy had another fantastic performance. He's playing like a 10-year vet. Mm-hmm. Man, that's a kid, or not a kid. That's a that's a that's a that's a man with swag right there. You know, uh, for a kid or for someone to come in, you know, into what we have going on for the type of season, and and have a you know. Production like that on the field, man. <laughs> I mean, it was no drop off, you know. So that's just kind of how we are in this, you know. I mean, you know, there's no drop off between the ones or the fives, and I, I don't say we have fives. You know, everybody we have are ones. Uh, Dre, we're going to have to break off relatively soon because we've got more commentary coming up of the uh, of the upcoming Chargers Dolphins game. But but. But before we do that, I must ask you about Seattle on Thursday. You can win the NFC West with a victory on Thursday. It's going to be your first experience of going and playing in their field in one of the toughest places to go in the NFL, where hopefully you're going to be playing every year for a long time. How hyped are you yes, for the Seahawks on Thursday? Man, super hyped. Um, definitely can't wait to go play um, Pete Carroll. You know, SC guy. So, you know, um, definitely can't wait to go play him. He was one of the, you know, the GOAT coaches at SC and uh, even over here. So, you know, I can't wait to go play him. And, you know, I got a couple of players on the Seahawks as well. Can't wait to go see them. You know, it's just another game. You know, don't really think of it as anything different. You know, you just got to keep, keep going out there and, you know, just keep trying to get better. 
Drake, we appreciate you. We appreciate your time. Congrats on the win, and yes, and uh, we'll catch yes, up sir. with you maybe after Seattle. Appreciate you guys. All right, Drake you gotta, Jackson. You guys got to get me out to Britain. Britain. <laughs> Hey, we, we want to go to London. Let's get you to get see the 49ers to London soon. It has to happen. I think it's AFC teams next year, though, Larry. I don't think it's NFC teams. So uh, we might be a couple of years away from that happening. But hopefully San Francisco get out here in the pretty near future. Uh, Larry Kruger, thank you so much to you. And thank you to Drake Jackson as well. Brilliant stuff. Drake Jackson there from the locker room. Brilliant stuff. Before we get into Thursday Night Football, I know you're itching to talk about the Seahawks matchup, Nicholas. I know I am. Uh, I, I don't know about you. I'm. I, I, it's still, despite everything I've seen from them in the last four weeks, despite everything I've seen from the 49ers, it's always a game which is going to give me just all sorts of anxiety and nausea in the build-up to it, no matter where we are in terms of our positions. They are despite everything, still kind of the boogeyman just because of the history, particularly in that building. Um, but we've, we've seen the Niners close it out before in 2019 um, to win the division and get the one seed in the NFC at the point. At that point, um, I remember I'd been given the harsh word from my better half about making too much noise and waking up our young child during the, the Saints game that season, which was obviously absolutely bananas. Um, so about 4am, the Seahawks game when Drake Greenlaw made that tackle, it was the most... Uh, exuberant silent celebration you've ever seen in your life and nobody there to witness it i i was super fortunate my my wife and i went out to the west coast to visit friends around that time of year and when i realized that that was going to get flexed into sunday night football and obviously Talksport have the sunday night football rights i hit up my guy as much as you know the seahawks is a rivalry they have one of the best media departments in the nfl my guy, Brian, who does a lot of the stuff around the, the Super Bowl out there, he's the head of broadcasting. He's one of the best guys in the NFL we've ever dealt with. I just said to him, look, is there anywhere in your stadium where I could broadcast from, host around the Sunday Night Football stuff? So we've got the, we'll still take the feed from Westwood One like we always do, but I'll just be feeding in and out of it. And he sorted me out a booth right alongside the coaching booth. So I was basically like, you had the home coaches, the 49ers coaches, an empty little booth, and then me in another little booth at the end there. Uh, so I was really fortunate and lucky to be there to see the Dre Greenlaw half yard line tackle and the run back the other way. And, you know, was it a turnover? Were we going to see it? Which almost sucked the air out of the moment a little bit, but it just didn't matter when it happened. And actually, when they confirmed it, I know we should be very positive on the 49ers at all times here. I did for a brief moment hear how the coaches reacted and thought, if I was the home team and I've got coaches like running in the hallways, screaming and shouting, jumping about. I know they've just won the NFC West, but I just thought to myself, wow, that is, that's a big reaction in someone else's stadium. So great memories of this game, despite the fact that we've lost the majority of them, particularly in the Russell Wilson era, the record was not good. Uh, before we get to that, just a mention on some of the other stuff from around the NFC, and, and I mentioned them already, but 48 points for the Eagles this weekend. I don't know if you've had a chance to watch this one back yet, Nicholas, but they are absolutely humming. Effortless dominance was something I was writing for uh, my thoughts on, that, on this week. Um, that's what it looks like. That's what it looks like the past two weeks ago. I think it's a good defence in the Titans and one that's probably not quite there in the Giants. And this was probably the biggest game in a, in a few, good few years for the Giants, and it was never really a game. And it's just it. They're, they're so diverse on offence with what they can do, like just throwing absolute bombs to A.J. Brown and Devontae Smith, who I think falls under the radar a little bit, now, given now he's now playing with A.J. Brown, but he's still an excellent receiver. Was the best of that group at Alabama with Judy and 
and Ruggs and um, that cast of characters they had there and just continue to develop in that offense. And the defense is out is outstanding. They're just they they look a really really fearsome team. It reminds me a little bit of the the Cam Newton uh, twenty fifteen Carolina Panthers a little bit having this this dominant running quarterback, this running game that nobody seems to be able to stop. And then uh, Hertz has just shown great growth as a, as a as a thrower this year as well. He's just he's come on leaps and bounds from what he was last year, and it, it, they are a freight train at the moment. It's going to be very interesting to see if anybody has the formula in the NFC to slow them down. He's been responsible for I think it's just thirty for thirty six touchdowns, legs and arm this year already. Only the five turnovers. We talk a lot about the Josh Allen improvement year on year in terms of accuracy. I think Jalen Hurts has had a similar improvement in terms of accuracy, but at the same time, the way that he reacts to pressure, the way that he is reading the game, the way that he's reacting in the pocket. I mean, it's almost Purdy-esque. Uh, <laughs> no, I, I'm obviously kidding, but honestly, I, I, I think this weekend with Mahomes throwing those three interceptions, yes, in a win, but with that offense not quite clicking in the same way, to see the Eagles. It's a 1A, one, 1B one situation, but I think Jalen Hurts might have just moved into 1A for me. Yes, uh, I would agree with that. And I, I made the, the, the Cam Newton reference. He's on similar kind of numbers, and they went 15-1. and one. He won the MVP there and cost you know, 16-1. They do that. It's very, very difficult to, to look away from him as the MVP. I think Josh Allen has fallen away a little bit. There's certainly a, a sleeper case for Joe Burrow. I think he's been playing tremendous football since week six. The Bengals have been on fire. Um, I wouldn't put put Mahomes down too much for the free interception game against the Broncos. He still won at the end of the day and he's got he's he's been phenomenal this season again and that's just how he's gonna play. Sometimes you're gonna have both games with Mahomes, but he's gonna come back and be an absolute fire show the next week. So I think it's a two horse race. Um but Hurts has certainly got the lead at the minute just because of how dominant the Eagles have been and how important he is to that and taking him out of that offence. I don't not sure it's the same. In the rest of the NFC we've got an NFC South, which may well be won by the Panthers after they've gone four and four with, with Steve Wilkes. I think very impressive in that time, but yeah, with the decimation of the Bucks by our 49ers this weekend, that has become wide open. You've got the Lions on this sudden resurgence. Uh, I say sudden, you know, five wins in our six. They've been absolutely brilliant. The Cowboys this weekend and the way that they only just about managed to handle business against the Texans, the fact that they have so many injuries in the secondary as well. I think people were looking at the Eagles, 49ers and Cowboys in whatever order they were putting them as the top three in the NFC. I'm starting to think it might just be the 49ers, Eagles, and then a glut of teams below it. Yeah, there was, um, obviously when Jimmy got injured, there was doubt have the Niners been kind of relegated to the Super Bowl dark horses. And then we've seen, Nearly two full games of Brock Purdy, and I think, I think, yeah, it's it's they're not they've not been relegated to another tier. I think they're still the top of the NFC because they've shown they can beat two a good Dolphins team that's kind of had a, a little bit of a slump and are still trouble, uh, still dangerous but not very good for most of the season. Bucks team that has still got a lot of talent. They've knocked off two teams there relatively easily, um, and the Cowboys. Yeah, that was they they should have, if Jeff, Jeff Driscoll. Former 49er, we may not remember, a very late round draft pick himself at the quarterback position, runs the right way on a speed option, then maybe the Texans win that game. I mean, I'm not sure what happened to Damian Pierce. I think he got injured. Um, if Damian Pierce is there on that red zone series after the interception, then maybe he punches it in and we're talking about the biggest shock of the season. And it's kind of what we spoke to last, uh, last week. Um, I don't know if the Cowboys can afford 
that to be off. You know, I mean, he, he, he's a game-winning driver. He's very, very good. He hit a beautiful cover two-hole shot to get him down into the red zone. Um, but before that, he wasn't having his best game. Obviously, a couple of turnovers, one unfortunate off the hands of Noah Brown. But can the Cowboys afford those kind of games against better teams? Because the defence gave up 20, 20-something points to a Houston Texans team that didn't have the best receivers. They were throwing to Amari Rogers, Green Bay Packers, cast off, and, and Chris Moore. Yeah, Chris Moore had a great game, by the way, but he's not a guy you necessarily want to be giving up three or four big catches to in the same game. And uh, as as everyone is, we've just dismissed to even talk about the Vikings. <laughs> yeah, um, everybody was questioning why the Lions were favoured in that game, and then it turned out that Las Vegas <laughs> was correct. Um, Vegas never gets it wrong. Never gets it wrong, and uh, I haven't had a chance to watch that one back yet. I think it was a, a decent Kirk Cousins game that didn't kind of matter, and I think they, they missed a lot of opportunities. There was a big TJ Hawkinson drop, but I just came away from that game so impressed by the, the Detroit, Detroit Lions and thinking, if not this season, then maybe next season, because it's all kind of aligning to them. I don't know what they're going to do at quarterback. There's, there's talk of Jared Goff being the long-term answer, which kind of raises my eyebrows a little bit, kind of a little bit dubious, even though he is playing very good, very good football. But you've got the pieces on offense with that running game with Swift and Williams who found the balance. They've got good weapons on Ross St. Brown. And you saw Jamison Williams, who I loved pre-draft, having his, his first catch be a deep touchdown, which seems so fitting and so wonderful for him. And then on defense, it isn't quite there yet. But you've, the Vikings had one red zone series in this game that Aiden Hutton just shut down completely by himself. And when you've got those kind of players and they're, they're firing on all cylinders as they are at the moment, then you can they can be very dangerous. And if I was... Washington Commanders or New York Giants or Seattle Seahawks, I'd certainly be very worried about the Detroit Lions who have a manageable, manageable uh, schedule down the stretch. Right, let's turn our attention then to Thursday night football. We've done well to put it off a little bit until now. Um, from a Seahawks perspective, right, so a team who started the season so strong, but the thing that kind of gives me pause... The thing that gives me pause, sorry, is, is the divisional rivalry, the fact that they've had our numbers, the fact that these games can get so weird. Like, all of that stuff is is in my mind, right? But the last four games, the loss to the Buccaneers in uh, in Munich, the loss to the Raiders, the win over the Rams, which was, you know, a last-minute victory, and then the loss to the Panthers, a team that had real playoff aspirations at, at six and three, now at seven and six, have you know, should have realistically beaten three of those four teams, if not actually run the table on them with where they were five weeks ago. And I think from their perspective, probably most concerning is giving up 233 yards on the ground to the Panthers on 46 carries. And to bring them up to an average over that stretch, you know, they, they gave up over 160 yards on the ground to a Bucks team who were scoring 60 yards, who were picking up 60 yards a game on the ground prior to that. They're averaging over 200 and I think it's 209 yards per game on the ground over the last four weeks. That feels like that plays into the 49ers' hands just a little bit, Nicholas. Yeah, they, you're absolutely right. It's, the fear factor is still there just because it is a big game and that crowd is amazing and we have much the right to give them a bit of stick. They, it's a tremendous home advantage. It would be the loudest. I know Brock Purdy's played in some big games at Iowa State at college level, but I don't think he'll have played in that atmosphere quite like Lumen Field, whatever it's called now. They will make a, a right old racket. We have a, a tail on you the screen. That's my cat's tail oh, that's no. appeared in, what, in what the foreground. I wasn't sure if you were if you were wiping the screen, however, <laughs> <laughs> however it was indeed a cat. Uh, mine is thankfully shut out of this room. Um, I don't, my, this room doesn't have a door on it, so oh. that's that's just open doorway. So unfortunately, I have no no option. 
that um, that reminds me a little bit. I don't know if you saw the, the viral clip in the uh, the World Cup when Saudi Arabia beat Argentina, and there's a, a bloke sat in uh, Saudi Arabia who just celebrated by removing his door and throwing it outside. And I was like, well, now you don't have a door. Mate. Um, <laughs> I, see, I thought you were going to talk about the was it the Croatian who threw a cat out of the press conference? So. I didn't see that one, but I saw the guy detaching his own door in a fit of celebration. Um, <laughs> I won't go to that level if the Niners win this game. Um, but like I said, there is all that fear factor there because of the history, because of the home advantage the Seahawks have. You are absolutely right in that the Seahawks' weaknesses in that they were they were stacking the box against the Panthers and still not stopping the run and allowing just egregious amounts of yardage. And the Niners have a better stable of running backs, even with the injuries we've got there, than the, the Panthers do. And that's no respect to disrespect to Raheem Blackshear, who went off in that game. Um, but Christian McCaffrey looked fully healthy last week. I don't think he was fully healthy against the Dolphins, but he was fully healthy on Sunday and he looked absolutely outstanding. And then they have the compliment of Jordan Mason, who is a big thumper. I think he is getting better every week. And I think it wouldn't surprise me, given the injury to Debo, if you saw the Niners just roll with four running backs this week on a short week and activate Terry and Davis Price, who seems to be lost in the ether somewhere, and that, and bring Tevin Coleman up to the practice squad and say, we're going to run it down your throats, but we're not going to put too much on McCaffrey because it's a short week and we're going to challenge you to stop any of our stable of backs um, with, a, with an offensive line that's, that's been playing great football and has, has been getting better and blocking the last couple of weeks. And, um, and, and you can throw in... You know, uh, everyone from Brandon Ayuk to Ray Ray McLeod to George Kittle to whoever going on end arounds and yeah. sweeps and things you can throw in. I mean, you mentioned Jordan Mason. I think, yes, a big thumper, yes, a big body guy, easily our biggest back. But I think showed in that second half against the Bucks, he's got exactly that thing that the, that the 49ers zone system requires you to have, which is the ability to hit the hole, one cut and go. Yeah. And... Bobby Turner, who, if people aren't familiar with him, the running backs coach who was with Mike Shanahan in Denver for their two Super Bowl wins, who followed Mike Shanahan to Washington, then followed Kyle Shanahan from Washington to Houston to Atlanta and eventually San Francisco. Missed the start of this season with health issues, but he's back with the team now. And he just finds these guys, just undrafted guys, seventh round picks, sixth round pick, like, and just molds them into exactly what the system needs, that Shanahan system needs. And yeah, Jordan Mason looks like a guy who I could imagine getting 20 carries on Thursday night and just flying, just going, getting away with it. Absolutely. And I think you're right. It's a good point you bring up about, about Bobby Turner. Because in, in the preseason, there was a lot of hype about Mason. Um, a lot of people on Twitter going mad for him because he was having these big bruising run, runs. I didn't quite see it at the time. But then you see, as we've got into the season, he's got the, the carries as injuries have, have forced him at the depth chart. You see kind of the development. He's he's hitting the hole. He's also doing a good job of like setting up the cuts. Like you sell it. I'm going, I'm going this way. I'm going this way. Sell it the eyes. The linebacker follows him over pursues and then suddenly cuts back. So he's He's got that fluidity to his game as well, and he sets up his cuts to get downfield. I think there's there's been a lot of growth there as well from him, which is very encouraging. So that's the kind of offensive side of the ball, and and I do you know they've got those good young rookie corners, and I think the, the there is that concern. You know, all the positive things we said about Brock Purdy, the noise, the atmosphere, they will get throw everything at him, and and I you know I think this is going to be a real real test for him. So I'm still. As much as I'm talking about how much we're going to run the ball, I'm still intrigued to see what Purdy looks like. Mm-hmm. What about the other side of the ball? Like, Geno Smith hasn't moved anywhere near as well in recent weeks, but has still proven that big plays are there. DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett, both with ludicrous end zone catches against Carolina. And 
Yeah, I, with uh, slowly but surely, that 49er secondary is getting banged up, and I, you know, the pass rush will get home. I love them, and I think they're like, they're, as long as the front end keeps performing, then maybe we'll be fine. But you know, I'm finding reasons to worry, I think. Yeah, and I agree. You're right to find reasons to worry. Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf are the favorite receiver duo of mine that play on the worst possible team. I wish they played somewhere else. <laughs> I, I, I'm, a, I'm a big Jamar Chase, T. Higgins, Tyler Boyd guy, but yeah. Lockett and Metcalf is ridiculous. I've, I've loved Lockett since whatever draft it was when he was at Kansas State. I thought, yeah, he's really good. And he went to the, the team I absolutely despised at the time and still. <laughs> obviously have lessened and brilliant feelings about, but I can't help but admire his game. Um, yeah, I think the the last game against the Bucks was a pretty impressive one from the secondary in general, particularly if I point out Jimmy Ward and Javarius Ward did a very good job against Mike Evans and Chris Corbin, kind of towing the line with physical coverage. They kind of got away with a couple of illegal contacts maybe, but they did a pretty good job on two big receivers. It's more... The other side, if Diomedor Lenore sorry, isn't fully healthy, he kind of got banged up late in the um, the fourth quarter of, of the game against the Bucks. If he's not fully healthy and they put him out there against your Lockets and your Metcalf, he could be the kind of the guy that that's Geno Smith's targets. And Geno Smith has shown this year that he can deliver the deep ball very, very accurately. That would be an area of concern. The area for great encouragement is, as you mentioned, um, the front, which had probably the best zero sack game I've ever seen <laughs> last week. Um, Tom that, Brady. That is that, that's just Brady getting the ball out. like, And Absolutely. that's Brady not taking sacks rather than the pressures not being there. 100%, yeah. He was getting the ball out so, so quickly. And he, with good reason, because um, Ollie Connolly, the gridiron editor, he likes to use his phrase with the night, would says they just mash people. And that's what they were doing again. They were just mashing on the offensive line. Eric Armstead's been a sensation again. He was on creating interior pressure, running stunts with Nick Bosa, who was excellent in taking advantage of the mismatch with Josh Wells, who was in for Tristan Wirth. Then you've got contributions from Drake Jackson and guys like T.Y. McGill, who was on the Vikings a few weeks ago. And you've got Samson Eberham hit Brady's hand, which hurt Brady's hand. And then the next throw, he got pressure again. And it was interception from Sean Gibson. Um, Kerry Hyder played well. It's just up and down. He's got so much depth. There was injuries. Like, I think Kerry Hyder's been going to be okay. There was... There was the injury to Kevin Gibbons, who's been playing well, which is a big shame. But the Niners just seem to be able to churn out these defensive linemen to deploy them anywhere on the field, inside, outside. Both played a bit more inside against the Bucks. You can play a many who on the inside. It's just a constant rotation of devastation for the guys up front. And I think the, what you saw in week two when the Niners rolled pretty easily over the Seahawks in a game where Trey Lance got hurt was probably what you'll see again in terms of the trenches. I don't think the Seahawks' offensive line can hold up. Um, so it's just going to be a case of whether a whether Seattle can run the ball on them, and b whether Gino can get the ball out quickly enough when these deep when those deep shots are set up and, and, and downfield. Well, look, it's a game we're hyped about. It's a game I hope you're hyped about. Uh, let us know uh, at Gridiron on Twitter. You'll find myself and Nicholas there as well. I'm sure we're both going to be there during the game. I uh, fortunately, probably, it's my work Christmas party on Thursday night. But we've got the game live on TalkSport 2. So I have to stay sober at the Christmas party to then go and work. And I honestly think that these big occasions, I'm much better working because I am, I get to focus on something other than my fandom. And that allows me to, I try and stay as neutral on air as possible, I think. Uh, maybe not brilliant at it. But uh, the, <laughs> the, like, 
Uh, I I was thinking to myself, my Twitter could end up being if I've been at a work Christmas party where it's been free drinks for five straight hours, and then I go go and watch Thursday night football my timeline could turn into a dark place. So it's probably a good idea that I'm going to be sober and watching the game at work. Uh, but I'm sure, are you going to be up for it? Are you going to be staying up? I am. I will be staying up for it. Um, as a, on to your point, nothing focuses the mind, like having to actually cover a game and be vaguely professional. Um, but yes, I will, I, will, I will certainly be up for that one. And at the time, the, the most wonderful time of year where it's all about belief, belief in the uh, that the big guy in the red suit is going to come down your chimney and belief in the hope for the new year and belief that... And belief in your fellow man and the goodness of your fellow man. I believe in Brock Purdy, and uh, I think we're going to get to see another mature and professional performance that gets a job done in Seattle. Her fingers crossed. The not so big man in the red suit, Brock Purdy, turning up big in the first two games. Will he do it again on Thursday night in Seattle? Cannot wait for that one. Uh, Nicholas, thank you so much for your time. As always, brilliant stuff from you. Uh, don't forget to keep checking out everything Gridiron do at Gridiron at UK uh, on Twitter at UK Gridiron on Instagram, and you'll find them on TikTok as well, where you get little snippets from our shows and all the other shows that they put on. The brilliant magazine. It was mentioned Ollie Connolly, his writing, Nicholas there as well and uh, yeah just keep an eye out keep an ear out and we'll keep bringing you this 49ers content thank you so much for watching thank you so much for listening this has been Tales of the Bay 